0: Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research.
1: Hello and welcome to the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons podcast series. I'm Ben Stronic, and will be serving as the host on today's topic. I'm a practicing orthopedic surgeon in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm a member of the AUKUS Patient Education Committee, Our role is to provide education material for patients who suffer from hip and knee disease such as osteoarthritis. Our content can be found at hipknee.aahks.org. We're fortunate today to be joined by two distinguished leaders in our organization.
0: Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me today. I'm Brett Levine. I am the chair of the Patient Education Committee and a member of AUKUS. I am a hip and knee surgeon as well, and I'm looking forward to the discussion today.
2: Hi, my name is Arjun Saxena. I'm an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee replacement at the Rothman Institute outside of Philadelphia. I'm excited to be here to help educate about COVID-19.
1: Thank you both for joining us today. Our goal today is to discuss how the current coronavirus pandemic has affected elective surgical procedures such as hip and knee replacement and what you can do to manage your arthritis without surgery during this time. Let's start by providing some background. What are the different types of surgery when we say elective, urgent, or emergency surgery?
0: So I think we all have slightly different definitions to this, and we've had a committee that's looked at this in great detail. But essentially, elective surgery is something that is not life-threatening. So things like hip and knee replacement are elective surgery. And if it's something really that's not going to save your life and and can be put off for a period of time, we consider that elective. Urgent surgery is going to be something that needs to be taken care of in a shorter period of time, maybe within two to three months. Um, and then emergency surgery is something that really needs to be done very soon. Otherwise, it may compromise the outcome for the patient. So fractures, infections, things like that. That's essentially how we're defining it right now. Arjun, what are you guys doing?
2: Yeah, pretty similar categories. You know, One rule of thumb we've had is if not doing the surgery within the next couple of weeks or a month is going to give the patient a worse outcome or a more difficult rehab, then it's something that we should consider doing on an urgent or emergent basis. So... Yeah, Tendon ruptures, infections, fractures, those are things that are going to fall into that urgent or emergent category, and we're still doing those cases at our institutions.
1: We're in a similar situation in Mississippi where we're following similar guidelines to not perform elective surgeries, but we are treating people that have urgent or emergent problems. Can you please describe for our listeners what is happening right now when we talk about the fact that we've stopped elective surgeries and why those decisions have been made?
0: Well, that certainly has given me a lot more free time on my hands. Right now, essentially, uh, we're not doing those typical surgeries that we do, which would be a hip and knee replacement. I'm reserving that for more on the revision side of things. And again, the emergent and urgent things that we just discussed. And that really is important at this point because the healthcare system is pretty strained in regards to trying not to spread the virus, protecting the healthcare workers, making sure we keep all of our protective equipment and we don't run out. So, Essentially, at this point in time, shutting down the elective surgery, I think, is is probably the way to go, even though it's not something that I personally love, but it is probably the way for us to handle this so that we don't strain the healthcare system any further. Arjun, what do you think?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a really challenging situation, especially for our patients. We really feel badly that we have patients, whether it be with, you know, an ACL tear or needing a hip or knee replacement that aren't able to have surgery right now. But it's important that we're doing this. We have nurses and doctors you see on the news that might not have the right protective gear, uh, the PPE or personal protective equipment, and it's important that we don't utilize that stuff in our surgeries. Additionally, we talk about the social distancing. People don't realize how many people are actually involved in your surgery. You getting a knee replacement isn't just me showing up and doing the surgery. There's nurse anesthetists, anesthesiologists, there's circulating nurses, there's nurses that see you when you get to the hospital, nurses after surgery, nurses on the floor, and all types of other support staff. So having those people having to come to the hospital, not only A, prevents them from taking care of the COVID patients, but also B, if they're not needed for those patients specifically, it really limits their ability to socially distance. So it's really multifactorial as to why it's just not safe or smart to be doing, a, you know, elective cases right now.
1: To provide some background to patients that are listening, in early March when the pandemic really started to hit the United States, the Surgeon General released a statement that elective surgery around the country should stop. That decision was made in an effort to preserve PPE or protective equipment that other healthcare workers would need and that decision was also made to protect you. What we don't want is for a patient to come in who is asymptomatic, but does have the disease and is infectious, or for one of the team members to be in the same situation, we could end up then getting the entire team infected over a surgery that would not be necessary to do during this time. So we've talked about elective surgery, the importance of why we've stopped doing that during this time. I'd like for both of you to comment on what surgeries we currently are doing, which you did mention, but when would you direct a patient to undergo surgery during this time, and why would we make that decision? So
0: at this point, I am still doing a few surgeries a week. Some of it has uh, relations to being on call and handling fractures. Obviously, if someone has a broken bone and it needs to be fixed for their best interest, it's probably not a good idea to put that off. So those type of procedures are still being done infections, something that may create a scenario where a person becomes septic and actually be severely harmed or even lead to death if you put it off. Those are the type of procedures that we're doing right now. Or impending fractures where an implant may be loose and a fracture is very imminent and the person may do a lot of harm to themselves where the surgery that may happen if something bad happens to them could be catastrophic versus if they did something now, uh, it might be something a little bit smaller. So We're still doing some surgeries. It's not a lot, and we're trying to keep it more in that urgent, emergent sort of phase. Arjun, what are you guys doing in Philly?
2: Very similar to you. You know, I was on call a couple times this week. I've done a couple of patients who've had hip fractures and given them hip replacements, but it's pretty limited as far as what we're doing. It comes back to what really, if we wait for two weeks or four weeks or however long this takes to kind of get to a point where we can do surgery safely how badly are the patients going to be harmed by waiting? And so fractures, people who aren't able to walk because of fractures, people who can't walk because of tendon ruptures, infections where they could get sick, like Brett mentioned, these are all surgeries that we're taking care of now. And so it's really important that we have the resources to even care for these patients, as well as the COVID patients, because they all need care, which is just kind of demonstrating even further the importance of really halting the elective surgeries, the, the ones that While it's difficult for patients, they they can wait.
1: I think it's important too, if you are a patient that sustains a severe injury, such as motor vehicle collision, or if you fall and have a hip fracture, orthopedic surgeons around the country right now want to treat you in a safe, but also expeditious manner to treat that fracture, and hopefully get you out of the hospital as soon as we can, both to get you out of that environment to try to prevent you from contracting coronavirus but also to free those resources back up and allow you to mobilize. We wanna get you back into your safe environment at the house and get you out of that healthcare setting if at all possible. I wanna go ahead and change gears at this point and get both of you to give me your opinion for patients on what they can do right now if they have hip or knee arthritis that is causing pain and limitation, but they can't currently have surgery.
0: So right now, with patients that are waiting, and we do have a, a lot of them out there waiting, I do suggest that you possibly stop by our webpage because uh, we have uh, some great articles on, on how to manage uh, arthritic pain before surgery. So if you do have a chance to look at that, that's a great link to take advantage of. And right now, for my patients, I'm telling them to maximize all the stuff that they can do, including natural products, if that seems to help them, potentially anti-inflammatory agents, if not being diagnosed with the COVID virus, Tylenol, a combination of these different medicines. Uh, we are trying to stay away from the use of opioids, uh, just for the issues that have uh, come to light with that in the recent past here. And then I also encourage them to at least move around a little, because the longer you sit, the more stiff you get, and moving the joints actually is in your, your best interest. So that's kind of what I'm suggesting for them now. I, I print out the handout, and I, I, we send it to them, or we email it to them, or, or hand it to them in the office. And right now, that's kind of what we're suggesting. Arjun, you guys doing anything different?
2: No, pretty much the same as you. You know, fortunately, there's some good resources as far as what you can do on the website, like you said. It's a challenge, though, for patients, and we're really empathetic with it. The patient really, once they decide to have surgery, one of the toughest periods of time for them, in between the time they decide for surgery and actually have the surgery, and this pandemic has really just created a big delay for patients with that. So it's challenging, but definitely movement's important. I stress to the patients when they call, opioids are definitely not the answer anti-inflammatories will help. Whatever you've done in the past to cope with your arthritis, whether it's bracing, ice, heat, all those things can help. Um, And it's really just a question of waiting and trying to get through it.
1: During our typical business prior to the pandemic, we all have a group of patients that will respond to injections for management of conservative treatment of arthritis. This may be a steroid injection, it may be hyaluronic acid injections. Could you comment on how you guys view the use of injections right now in your practice?
0: Currently, we're still doing a few injections a week, trying to maintain the concept of social distancing, where uh, we're not having a lot of people in our office. And uh, for the people who are in absolute severe pain and really can't tolerate it, we'll have them in for an injection. They are screened prior to being seen in the office. And then we also suggest for those people who are at high risk for being infected, that they may want to hold off on the injection for as long as possible. So we're trying to treat those people that an injection would be appropriate for It's maybe a few a week, not nearly as much as we normally do. Arjun, you guys doing anything different in Philly?
2: No, we're doing about the same. You know, we really, it's been a fluid situation and really unprecedented. So we've sort of changed what we've been doing on a weekly and sometimes even daily or hourly basis. So we started out seeing what we called essential patients only, whether it was Post-operative patients, patients with fractures, or patients who just urgently felt they needed to be seen, um, and, and we've opened it up to some injections for the patients who really need it. But again, we're really trying to practice that social distancing. Uh, we we have significantly fewer number of people on a given day in some of our waiting rooms. You could see forty or fifty people. Now it's less than you know ten. Everybody should kind of be uh, in healthcare should be doing screening for the patients as they come in the door. So. We're doing that as well and really want to not only protect our patients, but also our staff from just, you know, minimizing exposure for everyone and especially those patients who are immunocompromised who uh, could be more susceptible
1: to uh, illness. Brad, you had mentioned the importance of motion, both of the joint, but also of the patient in terms of treating arthritis when we're not performing surgery. That's become more difficult for our patients with shelter-in-place orders across a large portion of the United States. Are there any resources that patients can utilize to help them direct physical therapy and motion exercises during this time?
0: Yeah, there are numerous online uh, sources that they can go to, certainly at the OCCUS patient education page, which we keep plugging. We do have some good videos there for things you can do pre and post-operatively. There are other pages as you search through the internet, but in general, I tell them gentle motions, if they have a bike or even the little pedals that you put on the ground, it's not actually a bike, it's just the pedals that's good to use. but. It's not great to be sedentary, not only for the arthritis, but we don't want them starting to set up with clots, gaining weight, all the other issues that go along with being sedentary. So we try to keep them active. Arjun, you telling them anything different?
2: No, no, exactly the same. They have to move, whether it's walking around their house or their yard, whatever it needs to be. But movement is important. Um, the stiffer they are uh, for surgery, you know, the, the tougher it is to get that range of motion back. So movement, some gentle exercises. Our, our website, the Accus Patient, uh, uh, Education website has some exercises you can do to kind of keep yourself mobile. Um, So it's really important to be moving.
1: We touched on this a little bit, but clinics are different in the middle of this pandemic. We're handling business differently. I think that is true for the majority of surgeons. What would you say to a patient in terms of when they should consider coming in to be seen in person versus other methods they could reach out to their provider?
0: Yeah, clinic is definitely a lot different than it used to be. We've shut down most of our clinics, actually, we only have a couple open we limit the number of people that could could come in at a time. Again, so we're maintaining that social distancing and there's never more than 10 people in the same area. Everyone's keeping their appropriate distance. So we really shut things down quite a bit. However, we have encouraged patients who need it to reach out. They've been calling, emailing, and we set up appointments for the people that may need it. If there's any wound issues, if you have a fever, if there's a major concern, then we suggest you call first or we set up another way to, to talk either through the phone or telehealth. And then uh, we determine if it's emergent, and then we get those people in. So we're not trying to abandon anyone. We encourage our patients to call us and still keep in touch. But right now, it's really mostly the emergent patients and the urgent patients, including post ops and the people who just can't take it and really absolutely need an injection. Otherwise, they're not going to move at all. Arjun, anything different on your end?
2: No, you know, Brett. I think you really touched on an important point. You know, not just orthopedists, but you know, all of the patients' doctors are here for them this time, and so communication is really key. So Reaching out, whatever the best way to communicate with your doctor's office, whether it's email or through a portal or even just calling, it's important to do that because you certainly don't want to present to an emergency room or urgent care and utilize those resources and potentially expose yourself to illness. So really important to stay in touch with your medical team at this time. And, and you know, once you have that conversation, then certainly the decision can be made if it's something that really needs to be
1: seen in person, you can make an appointment. One related topic that I think is important for patients to understand is if you do need to come into clinic, what measures are we taking to protect you and vice versa? So in our facility, we're screening patients prior to coming into the facility for uh, any signs of coronavirus infection, including taking their temperature. Brad had alluded to social distancing, which currently is being defined as keeping a six foot uh, distance between yourself and others and also limiting the number of people in any given area, which currently is being defined as less than 10 people. We are all trying our best to practice frequent hand hygiene. This can be alcohol. This can be hand washing. uh, Anytime that we're touching any surface that could be contaminated. And you may also see your healthcare providers wearing masks. And the CDC has also recommended for uh, people to wear masks in public. Uh, Are you guys doing anything differently or anything additional in your facilities outside of those measures that I just described?
0: That's pretty much what we're doing. You'll see a lot of masks in clinic. I think that was a little scary at first for people seeing their doctor wearing a mask when they walked in to see me. But um, I think people have gotten used to it now that they see it out in public. Hand washing, wearing of gloves. And in fact, our uh, chief medical officer has really shown that just the hand washing has really decreased the transmission and really good hand hygiene has decreased the transmission of the virus through our emergency room and through contact. So you really could do yourself a justice as well as everyone else by just washing your hands and, and that kind of stuff. I know it seems pretty simple, but it's very important. Arjun, anything different over in Philly?
2: No, nothing different, but it is amazing that simple little things can really keep you safe. So the hand washing is important, answering the screening questions, even though you you may see them or hear them multiple times, it's all important and it's all really just to help prevent the spread of this really difficult, uh, scary disease.
1: Moving on to a related topic, telehealth has become a very hot topic right now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. I'd be curious to know how each of you are using telehealth, and can you describe to our users and listeners what telehealth is?
0: Yeah, telehealth is basically some form of communication, whether it be either telephone, other platforms, such as just using the platform on your your phone, whatever device it may be, or linked up to your electronic medical record where there's also video involved and call is made and through either either just voice or, or voice and video, and you're able to see the patient. And it's been very, very good for us. It's something that some of us utilized a little bit in the past, but now I think last week we had almost a 1,000 uh, telehealth visits from our practice. So it's really kind of exploding. It's a great way to, to see patients and get that communication and, and feel like um, they're still actually almost being seen in the office. And for simple visits like early post-op when there's no issues going on, or even long-term follow-up patients, who just want to check in, it's a great way to kind of see those patients and still feel like you're in touch. And then for people who have any sort of urgent questions, it's fantastic to be able to look at a wound quickly or see a person's range of motion quickly. It's been great. So through a terrible pandemic, this may be something that's actually good that comes out of it. Arjun, what about you guys? Uh, You guys got a big practice. I'm sure this is something you guys really need to take advantage of.
2: No, Brian, I think you hit it on the head there. This is something that may be good and and may change the paradigm of medicine. You know, telehealth isn't new. It's been around for quite some time. There's a number of platforms out there for it. But typically, there's been barriers to widespread utilization, one of which being reimbursement by insurance companies. And due to the pandemic, to improve social distancing, insurance companies have now allowed this and accepted this as a, a, a form of an office visit. And it's a great way to do things. Certainly as orthopedists, we like to take your joints and check the range of motion and feel how stable your joints are. And even your heart doctor or your primary care doctor may want to listen to your lungs with a stethoscope. So you don't have that opportunity with telehealth. but. If we can just get the communication, learn about your symptoms and what you're feeling, learn about your medical history and try to come up with a treatment plan for you remotely, whether it's telephone, whether it's an app on your phone, whether it's an app through the EMR, we can treat patients that way. And we've also had a really great response from patients nearing thousands a week at this point of visits and patients have had a great response for it. So it may be something that allows going to the doctor to be less of an inconvenience in the future. And again, another great way to connect with your doctor and their team for your care, whether it's now, before surgery, or certainly even after surgery as well in the future. And there's even some studies that have been done that show that telehealth can be an effective way to not only give people's time and even save money in some studies, but really effectively care for patients. And that's what's most important.
1: I'd like to thank you both for your time. I think this is great information to get out to our patients and hopefully provide them some reassurance that we're here for them. Thanks so much. Stay safe, everybody. Thank
0: you. Yes, yeah, Stay safe. Have some patience. We'll be back.
1: Please stay safe out there and healthy during this difficult time. And if you'd like more information, please go to hipknee.aahks.org. We have physical therapy exercises available for patients to review. And we've also recently published an article about managing arthritis during the pandemic. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate advocate and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery